Welcome to On The Money, where you can find out anything and everything to do with finance, business and the economy. On The Money is broadcast live from the studios of Radio 2SER and broadcast nationwide on the Community Radio Network. I'm Tanya Katsanis and this week we're preempting the upcoming federal budget. Will Treasurer Josh Frydenberg deliver a budget focused on winning an election or will it be a budget that Australia needed to have? It's a show full of speculation. Stay with us. You're listening to On The Money. With the Liberal Treasurer Josh Frydenberg set to deliver a surplus budget on April 2nd, the question for many of us is simple. Is the budget focused on delivering economic results or is this a budget focused on winning an upcoming election? Analysis conducted by Deloitte Access Economics has forecast higher than projected economic growth than the budget has allowed for. And mainstream media seems to be focused on income tax cuts, housing affordability and the slowing of the Chinese economy. Is this where the budget should be focused on? Both my guests are joining me via phone to help us gaze into our crystal ball to try to determine what the upcoming budget will be focused on. I'm joined by Dr Peter Davidson, Chief Advisor for the Australian Council of Social Service, otherwise known as ACOS, an economist and UTS Executive in Residence and former ANZ Chief Economist, Professor Warren Hogan. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Now, look, if I can start with you, Professor Hogan, what do you think this budget is going to be about? Is it an election budget? Well, I don't think we the fact that it's an election budget. It's been framed that way from the get-go. It's been brought forward so to make way for a, a May election, which is when we normally have the budget. And, of course, the government is behind in the polls quite substantially, which isn't a great um, mix for, the, for, for, for good fiscal policy, I must say. Um, but there is some chance here that um, a good election budget could also be good for the economy in the sense that the economy is uh, slower than what we thought, uh, the domestic economy that is, but yet the budget is in better better shape than what we thought. And this could be a time to, uh, to actually put a bit of money back into the economy and support demand in the economy. Um, and I think that's the, the, the way the, the many analysts are framing it, and I think that's the way... Uh, the government will frame it vis-a-vis what is likely to be a, a big, big announcement around tax cuts. Now, Dr. Davidson, can what are your thoughts on what you think that the uh, budget's coming up? What it'll be about? I think there are two things we need to keep in mind about this budget. One, it is an election budget. Two, public revenues are likely to be higher than previously predicted especially company income tax revenues due in part to higher than expected iron ore and coal prices. And expenditures may well be a bit down due to uh, lower unemployment. And there's also a recent media story about uh, an underspend on the NDIS. And thirdly, as in the mining boom, those gains to the bottom line are temporary Um Iron ore and coal prices probably won't remain where they are and future spending on health, aged care and the NDIS is likely to continue to rise. So the government has to be very, very careful 
how much it gives away and to whom. Do you think that the uh, shortfall in the NDIS spending may be reflected in the upcoming budget where they may actually withdraw some funding? Well, that's that's what is rumoured in the media today. It's not so much a direct cut, but the NDIA, the authority which um, distributes the money, has established rather complex systems to to pay it to the, the end users of the service and it's just taking longer than expected for the money to flow through. And in addition, they seem to have uh, screwed down the average cost of uh, packages for people. And so there's a great deal of concern um, amongst community organisations and amongst people with disability um, that... Um, they're not getting the services that were first expected. Now, Professor Hogan, in the instance when you do allocate money for spending and it doesn't get spent, and in this case we're talking NDIS, do you think that it warrants for that money to be redirected elsewhere? Well, no, it's uh, earmarked for a particular program and you'd you'd like to think that that's where it's going to go even though um, they haven't been able to roll it out as quickly as they may have originally projected. I mean, if there is some cost savings there, because it's a new program and they've overestimated how much it would cost to implement, then sure, that that money can be can be earmarked elsewhere. But if it's just simply that it's 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 taking more time to roll it out, then no, I'd say the money should be be uh, kept within the program and just push forward. And, that, and that's quite easy to do in, within a budget context. The saving will be there in terms of what's happened in the past and what's happened this year. Um, but I, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't think there's much of a case to to uh, reallocate that money if it um, is still part of the uh, part of the program. Now let's go to the one of the high profile sort of topics, and that's tax. Now, look, from what I've read, that Australians are paying the highest proportion of their income in tax since 2005. So, do you think it's fair to suggest that tax cuts make sense, Professor Hogan? I think, I think it, it it does. I mean, I think. Um, Dr. Davidson's point is very well taken. We've got to be very careful here that a lot of the extra revenues we're getting at the moment may prove to be temporary um, because they're the result of uh, an unexpected uh, rise in our main export um, incomes and therefore higher tax incomes for the companies that are in those markets. So if we see China slow down uh, or their, their demand for commodities come off, which I think is a reasonable, well, not grow as much, I should say, rather than come off, is a reasonable expectation on a medium-term basis, um, then yes, we need to be quite careful. But that that said, the government has some limits on uh, revenue to GDP ratios, um, and that will start to hit those limits, and, and it is quite a, a, a high ratio by our own standards. So I think the case for tax cuts um, is, is reasonable. But as is always the case with these things, it's, it's what do those tax cuts look like? Are they at the right in the right areas? Are they going to promote efficiency in the economy? Are they going to promote fairness in the economy? And at this stage, the set of tax cuts that they've already put out there that they've legislated for to come into effect in 2022, um, they're likely to be brought forward. And I'm... I'm not sure that that's a bad thing. It's quite expensive to bring it forward in terms of the budget now. But the big question right now is, is, is will this actually help, well, from an overall economy point of view and performance of economy point of view, will this help the economy? And 
And the, the more tax cuts you can give to low and middle income earners, the more chance that that's going to end up in the economy and, and, and provide support. So I think the tax cuts that are proposed aren't, aren't too bad by the standards of a pre-election budget, um, if those are the ones that actually come to pass. Now, Dr Davidson, your the ACOS budget priority statement, which was published in February, uh, there was you want tax in- incentives to be minimised in order for savings to be redirected elsewhere. Did you want to add to that and where, where you'd like those to happen? Yes. Uh, firstly, on the uh, tax rates being um, higher than they have been since 2005, I think what we have to keep in mind is that from 2003 to 2011, there were eight annual tax cuts that were all implemented, well, most of them anyway, implemented in the boom years. And that, of course, was a temporary boom, but the tax cuts were not temporary. And that's one of the main reasons the budget shifted to a structural deficit, one of the main reasons governments have been struggling with the budget since then. If you go back to uh, the tax scales in 2003, the median taxpayer, the middle income taxpayer, is still slightly better off than they were if those 2003 tax cuts were still in place. So it comes down to whether you think those eight annual tax cuts were affordable and appropriate or not, and, and we think we think not. We think the pre- that previous governments went too far. In relation to the so-called Stage 2 and Stage 3 tax cuts um, that are already legislated but which it's rumoured might be brought forward, we don't think that's a cost-effective way to strengthen consumer demand in the economy if that, is, if that was the main goal for those tax cuts because By and large, they go to people earning over $90,000 a year who are the top 20% of taxpayers. And most people wouldn't believe that, but uh, the top 20% of taxpayers are those earning more than $90,000 per annum, in part because there's a large group of people at the bottom of the income distribution, pensioners and so on, who don't pay any tax at all and don't benefit from tax cuts. In fact, around one third of households don't benefit from tax cuts at all because they're not paying tax. So the problem with targeting tax cuts mainly to people on over 90000 a year, aside from the impacts on equity, is that a greater share of their tax cuts will be saved, perhaps roughly one quarter This is hard to judge in advance, but high-income earners have a greater capacity to save. So if we're we're trying to get consumers spending, it's much, much better to to target increases in income support payments like the Newstart allowance for unemployed people, any increase in which will be immediately spent on essentials. So on that topic, if we're looking at tax cuts versus uh, potentially at other areas of saving money within or or saving um, the individual, business leader and prominent Liberal Party supporter Tony Shepherd, he's warned the government not to go through with handing out tax cuts. He believes that we need to spend on activities to boost productivity. So he's suggesting that if we invest in childcare services, that we can encourage more women into the workforce, therefore encouraging productivity. Professor Hogan, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I think those arguments have some merit, although I'm not uh, clear. It's not clear in my mind exactly what that would look like, and, and I think they'd work. And I haven't seen any work on this, but whether it would be successful or not. I, I think boosting the new start allowance is a critical element um, uh, of the situation in Australia right now, not just from an equity point of view, but also because our economy is going through a lot of change and a lot of people, potentially we could find more and more people um, shifting jobs as the economy continues to adapt to new technologies and so forth. And I think that focusing in on new start is, is a very important, not just social, but I think economic strategy to facilitate change in the economy. And I totally agree with Dr. Davidson is that that will get straight into demand in the economy. But yes, we do need to try and think about productivity boosting reforms. Um, but I don't think a pre-election budget, um, one that's been shaped in the sort of environment politically we've seen in the last six months where we've got a new prime minister and some significant changes in cabinet, is going to be able to do that. I think a new government after this election that has some political capital post an election should really start to think about those sorts of productivity boosting reforms well, to the economy, to the budget. Let's have a quick break and we'll come back and get into social housing and immigration. Uh, you're listening to On The Money. I'm Tanya Katsanis. Counting down to the federal budget? Tune in to 2SER from 7.30pm on Tuesday, April 2nd to find out what emerges from Frydenberg's lockup with the federal election just a month away. At 8pm, our budget team will arrive fresh from the scrum of the Canberra Press Gallery with the facts, figures and best analyses. Find out what's in it for you. You don't want to miss it. Next Tuesday at 7.30pm. Stories, ideas and macroeconomics here on 2SER 107.3. Welcome back. You're listening to On The Money, coming to you live from the studios of 2SER and broadcast around Australia via the Community Radio Network. I'm Tanya Katsanis and joining me via the phone is Dr Peter Davidson, Chief Advisor for the Australian Council of Social Services and Professor Warren Hogan, Economist and UTS Executive in Residence. Now, gentlemen, just before the break, we talked about tax cuts, etc., but I wanted to talk about housing and the affordable housing issue that seems to be becoming an ongoing issue, especially in our metro areas. Um, if I could start with you, Dr. Davidson, you've got a two-tier policy in place that you would like to see. Can you elaborate on that, please, for us? Sure. We think that um, investors in rental properties should be incentivised to invest in affordable rental housing through an annual rebate or tax credit which is linked to the rent that is paid in the new dwelling. Now, not to be cheeky, one of our uh, listeners had it written in and said, well, we've got falling house prices. Won't that solve our affordable housing issue? Well, they've, <laughs> they've fallen a bit um, they, and they've risen a lot. Certainly, we, uh, we wouldn't like to see a, uh, a disruptive fall in housing prices. That could be, that could be economically risky, but um, they've fallen by around 10% after rising by over 50% in the last um, five to six years or so. But I don't think it's likely that without some intervention, our affordable housing problems will be resolved. Those interventions should include changes to state government planning regimes, some tax reform would help, especially a shift from stamp duties to land tax at the state 
level and we would also advocate restrictions on negative gearing and a reduction in the concessions attached to uh, capital gains. So to, can I just add, with, yeah. with talking about negative gearing, if that does come into play in Labor, because Labor's stance is they're all for abolishing negative gearing, if that comes into play, won't that potentially accelerate an already declining market and where does that leave people with mortgages who've bought an investment property and have high level of debt? Well, they would be grandfathered under the policy, meaning that um, they would retain the previous tax benefit. And what that means, in effect, is that the policy would have a gradual impact on prices because most of the existing negatively geared properties would retain the same tax treatment. It would be, the impact would be gradual. Professor Hogan, what are your thoughts on negative gearing and the impact on the housing market? Well, look, I think it, it's like any sort of intervention in a, in a private market, it's, it's going to create inefficiencies and um, it certainly played a major role in this last housing boom, which in Sydney and Melbourne could easily be called a bubble, especially now that we're seeing the mm. precipitous falls in um, some parts of those two cities. Um, and a big part of that was around investors who were incentivised through the tax system. So getting rid of it is a good thing in principle. It's how you do it and when you do it. And I think the Labor Party deserves some credit for having the courage to come out and put a market in the sound. This is genuine reform. It's but how do people then risky. get ahead? How do people? How do the workers then get ahead? Well, I'm not sure that the workers or the lower or middle income substantially benefit from negative gearing. Um, there's not a lot of evidence to show that it helps in terms of rental affordability. Um, that was always one of the arguments. And, of course, they're not big participants in, in housing investment. They're obviously struggling just to get in housing themselves, let alone have investments. So I think I think the, the, this, this reform uh, focus, the fact that we're having a conversation about it, is a good thing. In terms of affordability more generally, I think we should also distinguish between affordability for most people. I mean, the reality is in Sydney and Melbourne, affordability was a, an issue for just about everyone except for the very wealthy. Um, we're talking afforded- first home buyers, though, aren't we? We're not necessarily talking... Oh, even even people who are upgrading, you know, going from uh, living in a unit as a, as a new couple to, to having children and having to expand. I mean... I think it's 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 a the, the the level of prices in Sydney and Melbourne in particular, but in other areas as well, um, was a is a was a real challenge across the board. But then there's the affordability issue at the low income area, which is a persistent and um, troublesome issue that we've been trying to deal with forever, really. Um, and that's that's where government intervention and 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 the sort of policies Dr. Davidson is talking about, I think, can be very very effective and and, and may come at some cost, whether it's budgetary or whatever, but a part of, I think, what a wealthy country does to, to make sure it's looking after everyone. So I think there's two different affordability issues, and the market at the moment is actually taking care of the broader one, sort of, to some extent, with the falls in house prices, we're saying. It's not a pleasant process for people who um, are homeowners, um, but I suspect most people who just own their own home and live in it take a long view on that. I mean, people who have got three, four, five, six investment properties, well, they should know the risk they were taking, so... It's, it, it may become a learning lesson for some people, but I, I actually imagine that's going to be quite limited and it's certainly not an economy-wide issue. So the market itself is, is going through an adjustment and the affordability issue is being addressed. The extent of which we will see further price falls is unclear. 
I think there is still a big issue around affordability for, for low-income earners. I do want to touch on immigration just quickly. Scott Morrison's just announced a cut in immigration. Now, how do you feel that this will impact our economic outlook, Professor Hogan? Look, not, not a great deal. Because I don't think from everything I read, uh, and, and I'm not an immigration expert, but I do look at the numbers, and, and it's an important part of our overall economic scene. They're not big changes, and so I don't, I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a major shift. It may be, see, we may see some slightly lower numbers than we have in recent years, but our, our immigration rates since essentially uh, the mining boom, where a lot of where we saw the rate of immigration pick up quite a lot, is, is been very high by Australian standards. So, I've, I mean, look, you can take different views on it. I think from an economic point of view, the ability for our economy to generate growth over the medium to long term, a big part of that is the fact that we have population growth and a big huge part of that is immigration we're an immigration country i think we deal with it we are constantly challenged by it of course but i think i think we should be continuing to have a very strong immigration intake and what the new proposal is as best i can understand it is is not a significant shift um so i don't think it challenges our economic outlook and i don't think it necessarily reduces the ability of certain industries and certain skills to be targeted when they're needed Either. Dr. Davidson, what are your thoughts on immigration and the effect on our economy? Well, I'm going to agree with Professor Hogan as uh, as we've been doing all night, I think. I don't think uh, this is really a major change. It's actually more a shift from permanent migration to temporary migration or an acceleration of the shift that has been underway for some years now, we have huge numbers of people coming into the country as uh, students with um, working rights and as uh, backpackers with working rights. And that has that has had some benefits for the labour market, especially where there are skill shortages, but it has risks as well, including for those migrants, the risk that um, they will be taken advantage of because um, they're not in a not in a very strong bargaining position if their ability to remain in the country is, is dependent on the employer. So can I just, we're yeah. just running out, my final question to you both is, do you think Labor's budget response will be vastly different from the Liberals? Professor Hogan, if I can start with you, please. Yeah, I, th- I think it is, and I can see that there's quite a strong contrast in the policy platforms of the two, um, and that's been around now for, for for over one parliamentary cycle for probably four years. And there was a shift to the left from the Labor Party ahead of the previous election. It got them some traction. They've maintained that political traction, and uh, at this stage, they look like they'll get into power. So. I think the real issue is that not so much their response to the budget, because the budget is so close to an election, it really is all about who wins the election. The question is how much of the policy platform the Labor Party is putting forward they can implement, and that's going to determine the size of the majority they've got, and then their political will once they're in power. So I think we're going to see some some shifts in our policy environment, and uh, I think it'll be very a very interesting period over the next three months for Australia on that front. Dr. Davidson, I'll give you 20 seconds, can you? What What are your thoughts? Oh, look, I agree. I think um, there's a greater difference in uh, the policies of the major parties than there has been for many years. But budgets and elections are a matter of choices and priorities. And uh, we think it's very important that the, the next government maintains a healthy revenue base 
to be able to fund the essential services on which we all rely uh, and we'd be very anxious if um, too much was given away now in tax cuts. We've been down that track before and uh, the results weren't very pretty. Gentlemen, I'd like to thank you for your time this evening. That's Dr Peter Davidson, Chief Advisor for ACOS and Economist and UTS Executive in Residence, Professor Warren Hogan. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all we have for you for On The Money this week. A special thanks to our guest, Dr. Peter Davidson, Chief Advisor for, the a- for ACOS, and Economist and UTS Executive in Residence, Professor Warren Hogan. Thanks to our technical producer and executive producer, Roderick Chambers, and producers Veronica Alashina, Kevin Suarez and Daniel Ellison. On The Money is produced in the studios of Radio 2SCR for the Community Radio Network. You can also find all our shows and stories at 2SCR.com forward slash on the money. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter, look for at OnTheMoney2SER and find us on Facebook. I'm Tanya Katsanis and we'll be back again next week to give you the inside running on all things financial. Thanks for your company and don't forget next week's Our Budget Special. Counting down to the federal budget? Tune in to 2SER from 7.30pm on Tuesday, April 2nd to find out what emerges from Frydenberg's lockup with the federal election just a month away. At 8pm, our budget team will arrive fresh from the scrum of the Canberra Press Gallery with the facts, figures and best analyses. Find out what's in it for you. You don't want to miss it. Next Tuesday at 7.30pm. Stories, ideas and macroeconomics here on 2SER 107.3.